let's get agreement that this is a strategic priority. That area of alignment and synergy can be very important. Future, we're committed to expand valuation. time, there's still progress that needs to be made. This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Anuja Verdia, Senior Editor and Special Events Lead at mHealth Intelligence. In the last few years, a perfect storm of circumstances, including a once-in-a-century pandemic, economic and political uncertainties, and financial challenges, has left more Americans struggling with their mental health than ever before. An overwhelming 90% of Americans think there is a mental health crisis in the country today, according to a 2020 poll conducted by KFS and CNN. A more recent survey conducted by CVS Health shows that younger people, those between 18 and 32, are the most affected, primarily due to social media use. Amid this mental health epidemic, consumer-facing virtual therapy apps have spiked. According to one estimate, there are 10,000 mental health apps available today. But the efficacy and privacy capabilities of these apps have been called into question, with even the FTC cracking down on instances where they have revealed patient data. Today, Dr. Taft Parsons, Chief Psychiatric Officer at CVS Health, is joining us to discuss the current mental health care landscape and how technology use has impacted it, as well as the rise of consumer-facing digital tools for mental health and their pros and cons. Dr. Parsons, thank you for speaking with Healthcare Strategies today. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Fantastic. So let's jump right in. Could you provide a brief overview of the mental health epidemic in America how would you describe the state of American mental health today uh, versus, you know, say prior to the pandemic? What has that evolution looked like? What we've seen is just really just an expansion of the needs that we already knew Americans had prior to the pandemic. You know, let's not kind of mince words here. You know, we were in a crisis before the pandemic happened, and it has only gotten worse since COVID. We knew before the pandemic that most people that had behavioral or mental health needs really did not seek out treatment, were not identified as needing treatment. And so we had a lot of people suffering in silence. I think perhaps the singular or only good thing that the pandemic did bring about is that there seemed to be this almost group think where everybody got very comfortable talking about you know, some of the emotional challenges almost at the same time. And you started to see, in particular, a lot of very prominent people who were in the media, who were in the news, talking about how difficult it was through the pandemic. And I, and I think it really just let a lot of folks who were suffering in silence finally talk about what they were going through. Additionally, I mean, humans are social beings. And so one of the ways that we deal with stress throughout history has been <laughs> through those social and, and close connections where we share time and energy and talk through things. And, you know, during the pandemic, we were largely unable to do that. And it really brought about a lot of folks that struggled and reached out for care and, and had needs. Probably the one thing I will say is that, you know, it, within the behavioral health literature, you know, if you went back to I don't know, March, April of 2020, when all this started to happen is we thought of the pandemic as being like a pebble being thrown into a pond and that the behavioral health effects would be more like the ripples. We knew that they would be bigger, slower to notice, but we didn't know how big it would get. Hopefully, we have seen the peak because when we look at this year compared to last year, we are seeing a, about a 15 to 17 point drop 
in people being concerned about their own mental health or that of a family member. So perhaps it has peaked at this point, and so that would be be a little bit of good news. Absolutely. And, you know, I know CVS Health recently conducted its own survey on mental health. So, you know, what did you learn from that survey? What were some of your key findings? And was there anything that particularly surprised you? Kind of being knee-deep in behavioral health day in and day out, I wouldn't say that it surprised me. I think that there are a lot of people who don't kind of spend their lives working on behavioral health that really were taken aback by some of the the numbers as far as like prevalence of people's concerns and what was going on. So, you know, as an example, when we look at younger adults, so folks that are about 18 to 32 years old, we had about six in 10 say that they were concerned about their mental health. So more than half were concerned about their mental health and up to about two thirds say they knew several people in their community that were struggling with mental health issues. Additionally, when we look at healthcare providers, the majority of physicians, so about 56% were reporting that their patients had declining mental health. The challenge is that we, while we see many, many people that are in need of help, only about a little over 10% of Americans regularly see a mental health professional like a psychiatrist, psychologist, or other type of therapist. And so we know that there are a lot of needs out there that, that are not being addressed. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a quite a shocking statistic. Only only 10% of Americans being in sort of regular mental health treatment or, or seeing a mental health provider. And we'll dig in a little bit more into some of those mental health access trends coming up when we talk a little bit more about the rise of consumer-facing apps. But before that, I really want to dig into the connection between technology, social media use, and mental health. The increase in technology and social media use is really impacting mental health, behavioral health nationwide in ways that we are still grappling with. As you noted during the pandemic, when we were all sort of stuck at home, not only was there sort of that decline in actual social interaction, but an upswing in just being on our phones. I mean, I know I was certainly on my social media far more in 2020 than before that. So could you talk a little bit about how technology, social media, really impacts mental health and what is the relationship between the two? Yeah, you know, it's mixed. So it's it's certainly not either all good or all bad. When we looked at uh, folks that are in Gen Z or, or are younger millennials, they definitely rely on the technology. So we did find that about a third of those folks rely on the technology to access mental health information. So they are getting information from their technology, but on the flip side, close to 60% feel that social media, which is an important part of a lot of people's lives. Folks spend many hours in the digital world. It has a negative impact on their mental health. You know, CVS has had partnerships and initiatives like the Beauty Mark Initiative that really focuses in on helping to reduce some of the, the ill effects of the digitally altered world by trying to point out and putting a, putting a mark, watermark onto images that have been altered because we don't want people to be trying to measure their real life body to a photoshopped or altered image. And so it's one way that uh, we are working to decrease some of the negative impacts of social media and kind of the digital life that we all live at this point. With all the benefits that it can bring, there are, of course, the downsides. And, you know, similarly, you know, one of the upsides to this increase in apps in technology has been opening up access to things like behavioral health care. So 
telehealth is actually one of the few areas where, you know, behavioral healthcare is kind of consistently delivered through telehealth through the pandemic. And even now that sort of the public health emergency is over, it's one of those areas that experts believe telehealth will continue to be used. So can you discuss how digital health tools have also opened up a new frontier for mental health care? Yeah, it's been interesting over the last few years as the pandemic happened and probably as bookends, a little bit before that, as we've come out of kind of the, the widespread use of any sort of shutdowns to deal with COVID, there was really kind of an explosion of virtual health apps and tools, and in particular, behavioral health virtual apps and tools. For a while, I believe behavioral health was the most invested in healthcare sector for the kind of venture capitalist and private equity type investments for a bit. In a general sense, it has been a a net positive. We've seen a lot of people get access to clinician availability that they just simply didn't have before. If you think about in a particular geography, you have a certain number of clinicians and previously you had to drive over to their offices, you know, park, wait in waiting rooms and see them and then take your time kind of getting back to wherever you needed to go for the rest of your day. What we found during the pandemic is once people were kind of forced to have that first experience with accessing teletherapy, a lot of people have really appreciated the convenience. You log on right before your appointment. You don't generally have to wait very long. And immediately after the appointment's done, you're just kind of back to your life. That said, you know, it wasn't a panacea, so it it distributes clinicians, but it doesn't create more clinicians. So we still have kind of an absolute shortage of clinicians to meet mental health needs of the country, but it it certainly helped distribute it to places where people were having some access challenges. Right. What was so interesting was the rise of some of these, you know, like you mentioned, consumer health apps versus, say, you know, your, your traditional provider, your traditional health system launching their own virtual behavioral health services, which also certainly happened. But it, it, it definitely felt like people were flocking towards those sort of consumer-driven apps like your BetterHelp your, or your, your talk space versus, say, an established healthcare provider that had now taken its behavioral health services and made them virtual. So why do you think that is? What are some of the factors sort of driving healthcare consumer use of consumer-facing apps versus these traditional provider apps? I think that there were a lot of folks that were motivated to offer something different or new over the last few years. And, you know, in a general sense, innovation is a very good thing. And people who had some experience with kind of treatment as usual, a lot of them wanted to try something different. And so there were all these kind of digital self-help apps and things where you could self-manage that I I think kind of add to the treatment milieu. The, The question is, over time, how good are they? Are they better than, not as good as, or equivalent to our best evidence-based treatments? And so I think that, you know, a lot of us are trying to figure that out now. There was a huge period of growth where all of these startups came in with their product and a lot of people started using them. And so now, you know, that the metaphorical dust has settled a little bit, you know, we're spending our time trying to figure out, are these offerings, treatment that is at least as good as that in-person treatment as usual. 
Absolutely. And, you know, like you said, as, as the dust has sort of settled, as we sort of have these players now in the space, what do you see as some of the biggest advantages these apps can offer? What are some of the pros? Usually the pros are that they tend to be very convenient. People can access them where and when they want. The ones that are, are just kind of digital first and don't necessarily require a person for every interaction, there are the advantages of you can you can access it in the middle of the night and do some self-management, sometimes send through an asynchronous communication to an actual person. And you don't you don't have to worry about if you're having insomnia because you're distressed at 2 a.m. that there's nobody for you to to directly connect to in order to get your needs met at that moment. So I think, you know, I think really the the convenience of these types of offerings is probably the biggest benefit kind of across the board. Absolutely. And, you know, you also touched upon sort of the next step of looking at really whether these apps are as effective clinically, are, you know, as safe in terms of data privacy. So what do you see as some of the cons or, or maybe areas of concern as, like we just said, the dust has sort of settled? And are there any ways in which maybe these mental health apps can really negatively impact mental health care quality access delivery in America? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, there have been a few high profile cases where something negative has happened and they've been reported on some with the prescribing of controlled substances others with the sharing or selling of customer data, which really is is protected patient information for the most part. But I think that while we have to be careful to monitor for those sorts of activities with all of the offerings that are out there now, I I think that generally what we don't want to do is throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. I think that there is much more potential and good in kind of the expansion of, of these sorts of offerings as opposed to the real and potential negatives. One of the things that I think has a lot of potential but isn't there yet is the offerings that are enhanced with AI capabilities. You see a lot of things kind of offering digital AI-based therapy, friends or companions, things like that. And and so I've you know tried out a few of them. And while they are, I will say, very sophisticated algorithms, they clearly are not people. And so what we don't want to have is kind of, you know, the expectation that it is going to be equivalent to talking to a person or have the creators kind of creating the illusion of this personal interaction that somehow leads to an overattachment to, you know, what is essentially a program. So, but I, I think there's a lot of potential to relieve some of the stress that's on the system of a shortage of providers through some very sophisticated tools. Absolutely. And, you know, in the very sort of rapidly evolving landscape, like you mentioned, now we have, you know, more AI capabilities that will likely sort of enter this virtual therapy or virtual mental health care arena. What do you see as the role of sort of more traditional healthcare providers, payers, really just stakeholders such as CVS Health in maybe supporting the benefits that it provides while also helping maybe to stem some of the potential downfalls? Yeah, I mean, one of the very important things that insurers uh, and, and, and large scale providers do is we, you know, we oversee the quality of the care that's being delivered to our members slash customers slash patients, kind of what, it, you know, kind of wherever they hit our system. And so I mentioned kind of, you know, after this kind of boom of new offerings, what we're doing is spending the time figuring out whether or not these offerings are as good as or better 
than care as usual. You know, it's it's one of our responsibilities towards our different customers is to make sure that the quality of care and services that are being delivered to them meet the standards that they expect. You know, we have a lot of data about care and outcomes, and we can hold the traditional outcomes up against these new offerings and see who kind of rises to the top. And so that's, I mean, that's a big function of what we do in this space. Absolutely. And we also really like to keep an eye on health equity during these conversations. So I I would love to get your thoughts on as this landscape evolves, what should sort of both traditional healthcare players, as well as some of these newer companies providing these virtual therapy apps, how can they really ensure that they're not widening existing care gaps versus really trying to close them? You know, I think that the biggest thing is to be thoughtful and intentional about how your product is taken up by the people that use it. If we take the example of a digital smartphone app, while it can be widely available, it's widely available to people that can, you know, kind of afford to have a smartphone and who live in places that have broadband connections. And so, you know, any of these solutions are going to leave out certain populations. And so you can either think about how do we make it more widely available so that you have an equitable offering, or how do you then offer something else to people in areas where you can't get your particular solution to? And so I think, you know, kind of not having the blind spot to think that just because you're offering something good, that it is available to all populations equally, I think is the is the main thing. There's no one solution that works for everybody. And so kind of being cognizant of and thoughtful about where are the the places and the people that can't benefit from the offering is really the way to make sure that you address equity within any approach or app or service that you're providing. What is your advice for the consumers, you know, on the other side of this, who are sort of navigating a very wide world of of therapy apps? What is your best advice for them as they kind of try to pick what mental health care route is right for them? I wish I had a one size fits all recommendation. I will say that, you know, when things are critical or you're in a crisis, utilize the healthcare system that is available to you. While I certainly love some of the more innovative offerings, they do not replace an experienced and adept clinician if you are having very serious symptoms. So utilize your local providers, utilize 988 if you happen to be in a crisis. For folks that are looking for you know, help with a mild to moderate stressor, there are a lot of very different options to try out. So I encourage people to try different things until you find something that works really well for you. At the same time, all of the companies will, you know, kind of make over the moon promises about how great their product is and, you know, be a a little bit skeptical of those huge promises, but try a bunch of different things out because there's, there's bound to be something that is going to meet your needs to really kind of help you to live your healthiest and happiest life. Fantastic. On that very promising and uplifting note, I'd like to end our discussion here today. Thank you so much, Dr. Parsons, for coming on this podcast and sharing your thoughts on this very vital subject. Um, Really appreciate your time today. I've had a great time. Thanks for having me. And for our listeners, feel free to reach out to share your thoughts on this topic. My email address is avedya at techtarget.com. That's A-V-A-I-D-Y-A at techtarget.com. 
You can also use that email address to share any healthcare-related questions or stories that you would like us to consider covering. Also, if you enjoyed today's conversation, please do let us know. You can rate us and write a review on whichever platform you use to listen to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. This is a Tech Target production.